The book dream inside you cannot wait. Never before have so many people questioned, what do I really want to be doing? For a lot of us, that means writing a book. Long deferred dreams, pandemic pause, and the solitude to make them happen means the time is now. The mechanics of book writing can seem mysterious, but they can be broken down, as can the logistical minefield of getting published. You need skills of the craft, but also practical advice from experts who've navigated the path. What's the arc to becoming an author? The value and peril of agenting, conducive editors, the formats to publish and ways to promote. We'll speak with writers, agents, editors, teachers, coaches, publicists, publishers, resources, and guides to navigate the way for those of us brave enough to bring our story to life. Drop in to your book dream and begin to make it real. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. It's April Fool's Day, and the joke is that we'll work backwards instead of forwards about a writing process that has culminated after seven years. We're speaking with the author of a book with a provocative title, Pesticide, about murder in the unlikely canton of Bern, Switzerland. The author is Kim Hayes, and I like the title because it doesn't shy away from a nasty subject and inconvenient truth. Thank you for tackling this head on, and welcome, Kim. Thank you very much, Diane. I'm very glad to be here with you. It's great to have you with us. Uh, it's very mellowing, I think, and, and almost humbling, uh, and so gratifying to publish later in life and to be so well-received. Congratulations. The book comes out April 19th, but the, re- the previews are all glowing and positive, How does it feel to reach this summit, and that's a pun intended, uh, given the Alps in Switzerland, after after such a long path when you may have wondered at times if this book would ever even see the light of day? I I think it's very polite of you to say may have wondered, because with seven years of uh, rejections from agents and publishers, small publishers, and then when I did get an agent, through the agent, more rejections, I really often wondered a great deal uh, if I would ever get published. So, and that's something we, you know, we can talk more about. But now that I am published, or I'm about to be, it is, well, needless to say, it's a wonderful feeling. Uh, It also, that is without a doubt, but it also makes you appreciate the quiet times of just writing a book, suddenly not having any deadlines when you're writing becomes really something precious that is over now because I'm going to be a published writer. Yes. And as well you say, you change gears completely. You're going to shift into book appearance mode. Um, You've just arrived last evening from a flight from Switzerland, uh, and now you're here in the U.S. So are you... With the pandemic, are you um, going to experience in-person events, and how will that will well? How will that pan out? Well, I think the main one, uh, the main live event at this point, is is just my book launch, which is 
essentially a party. Uh, It's not a place where uh, the New York Times is showing up. It's a place where I've invited at at, uh, at a bookstore in New York called the Mysterious Bookshop. I'm going to be, uh, be, have a conversation and sort of interview with another mystery writer, another woman, uh, read a bit from my book and have one or more glasses of wine after I've done that. And that's going to be my main live event. And I'll have a lot of my friends and family there. So, um, plus hopefully a few people who've wandered in off the street. Um, so that should be a lot of fun, but mostly I'll be, uh, going over, going to bookstores, uh, but, and also just doing things, um, online. Uh, at the moment, I don't have a lot of in-person things scheduled. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand that permutation, uh, but a book party is always good. That's fun. I'd love to pop up yes. for it. Um, I'm going to give our listeners just a little bit of background about you, and I'm reading this, so, um, you know, feel free to chime in. Kim Hayes is a dual citizen, Swiss American, who has made her home in Bern since she married a Swiss. Before that, she lived in San Juan, Vancouver, and Stockholm, as well as the U.S., her birthplace. Since the age of 17, she has worked at a wide variety of jobs, from factory forewoman to the director of a small nonprofit, and in Switzerland, from sociology lecturer to cross-cultural trainer. She began writing mysteries when her son left for college. Pesticide is the first book in the Pulitzer Baron series, featuring detectives Juliana Linder and Renzo Donatelli, published by 7th Street Books. And it was shortlisted for the 2020 Debut Dagger Award by the Crime Writers Association. Hayes has a BA in English history and literature from Harvard and a PhD in cultural psychology, sociology, pardon me, from UC Berkeley. Um, I, I think that this gives rise to a sense of possibility for authors who may be listening. Uh, and I do want to, to talk about how landing um, your book after seven labyrinthian years um, is maybe more possible because of your life experiences, because of wisdom, because of, you know, different understanding of people that you've picked up so that if someone's listening in who's, you know, of a certain age and thinking, wow, I've always wanted to write a crime novel, not that it's easy, mm-hmm. and we'll delve into it mm-hmm. with Kim, but, you know, there is a sense of possibility that you give uh potential writers. And I wondered if you felt as though maybe writing the book was only possible after reaching a certain age. Yes, I'm absolutely sure that's true. I I have to say there were certainly other chances in my life when I could have made a decision to, um, to say, and it would have been a much more daring decision at a younger age because of money. Let's be realistic. You know, very few people can live from writing books, but where I could have said, I'm going to try to write a novel um, and, or a novel, including a mystery, but some write some, a a full book. Um, And I think that as brave as I like to think of myself, I think some of it was just fear, you know, that there are always other things to do. There are always things to, that 
that you think, yes, but I'll do this first. It's a very big step just to sit down and try to write a book. Um, and I also have to say, if you write, if anyone who's written a master's thesis, I mean, even a, a, a long report of some kind, but, you know, have any experience you have in writing a relatively long document, uh, and in my case, it was the PhD thesis, um, shows you what a lot of work it is to just write a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to be prepared, and I don't think I really was prepared um, mentally, um, but also in terms of, yes, having a different perspective about my life. I think I became more daring, you know, like you have a, you don't, things don't seem quite as important. In other words, you're more ready to fail when you get older. If that sounds, I don't know, does that make sense, Diane? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And you took the risk. Yes, I think you you were able to take risks because you see, when you're young, you think everything you do is so important. <laughs> I mean, it is important. It's important to you, but somehow it also, you, you feel it's important to the world. It, your life is very important to you when you're young, and that's fine. And the older the, you get, the more you're able to put things in perspective and say, well, you know, this is important to me, and if it works, that's great. And if I fail, nobody really cares except me. So, you know, what the heck? Let's give it a try. I think what what the heck is one of the better philosophies in life. Um, and I'm glad that you embraced it. Yes. Because the book is wonderful. Um, I, I just want to oh, let... You. No, it's a true pleasure to read um, Pesticide. And I just want to let people know that, you know, it's also not just a murder mystery, even though those are difficult enough to achieve. There's also definitely several threads of a love story or two uh, simultaneously. And then there's this very uh, important subject, certainly related to climate change, which is the use of pesticides, fungicides, and the grazing of cows in Switzerland, central to its economy. So you've like wrapped this up and there might be even more strands that I'm leaving out, but it's fascinating uh, w- what you've been able to accomplish. I wondered how much your your background in sociology and even cross-cultural training, I, I wondered how much it informed your ability to create characters that are larger than life, very compelling, and that we want to live with for a very long time. Oh, that's, you couldn't have given me a better compliment. Thank you, Diane, because since this is a series, although, of course, in any novel, I won't even say mystery, the most important thing is to be entertaining. Uh, You want people to like that book and to enjoy that plot. What you also want, um, you, you come to like your own people. The author can't help but create at least main characters, usually that they're very fond of, so you want other people to want to be with those people, um, your characters, your main characters, in this case, Juliana and Renzo, my two detectives, you want people to, to want to follow them into book number two. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but um, you were asking me about cross-cultural uh, training. I do think that that was a very important factor for me, that I did prepare people. Uh, I had a job for 15 years. Um, working with 
people from all over the world who were coming to work in large multinational corporations in Switzerland. So not just with Americans, but with people from all over the world at a high level so that the company was willing to spend the money to train them and work with um, spouses, I mean, with the employee and the husband or wife, and sometimes even the children, um, to help them to live comfortably in Switzerland. And that meant really trying to understand what makes the Swiss Swiss. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Not in a negative or positive sense, although I feel very positive about living in Switzerland, but also to try to understand uh, how other people will see the Swiss. So that helped me then to write a novel in which actually, although I'm American as well as Swiss, but every single person in the book is Swiss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was and they, Yeah, and they may have other um, heritage going on. I mean, you also on your website, which I love, this is Kim Hayes Burn. So it's K-I-M-H-A-Y-S-B-E-R-N. There's a great section CH choice facts uh, that are mm-hmm. is a comp- compilation of interesting factoids about Switzerland and the Swiss. And one of the things that I think people really don't realize, um, at least 300,000 people in Switzerland were once citizens of an ex-Yugoslavian country, Bosnia, Croatia, Kosovo, Macedonia, Montenegro, Serbia, or Slovenia, and another 200,000 more have ex-Yugoslavian roots after this group, half a million uh, come come the Italians, not to be confused mm-hmm. with the Italian portion of Switzerland. I, I say this by way of pointing out that given the current exodus from um, Ukraine, U- that's from Ukraine. Yes, the Swiss, the Swiss, you know, Switzerland, Switzerland and the Swiss people have embraced um, the the incoming refugees. I think in a very, um, it's a source of pride. And I think that your, your knowledge of the Swiss, your, able, your ability to interpret the Swiss, it will be useful. Um, even just picking up a book like this, uh, I hope it's going to be translated, um, will, will be helpful to people uh, because more and more people are coming from other countries. So you've put to use your very own experience as an expat as well as your sociological training. And, um, you know, when it comes to Juliana Linder, there aren't very many more compelling characters than her. You, you have to love a woman that's basically in love with two men at the same time, because <laughs> that totally breaks down some stereotypes <laughs> that we've always had to be so pure. So I want to talk about the role of I- imperfection in developing your mm-hmm. characters um, and even breaking down stereotypes, good and bad, good and evil, all of these stereotypes, authority, criminal. Talk to us about how you approach the nuance of creating character. Mm-hmm. Yes. I Well, certainly breaking down stereotypes seemed important to me uh, and of course, I'm not the only one doing this, so, but, but this is breaking down, for me, it was breaking down stereotypes about women and men uh, in the sense that my detective, uh, I realized very quickly, I could not have a woman detective with a, who had an, a, an 11-year-old, actually 10 in this book, a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old 
uh, without having her having a husband at home. So, or somebody at home, it could have been a nanny, but uh, in this case, so one stereotype is she has a, a, a man, her husband is a, uh, Juliana's husband, whose name is hard to say in English, but it's Uli, Juliana's husband, is a freelance journalist. So he is able to work out to be at home. So that's breaking down one stereotype, because how can you be a police detective as a woman with, without childcare? Mm-hmm. Um, another stereotype, of course, has to do with the Swiss, that I don't want to show a Switzerland that is just banking and chocolate. Um, right. That, you know, that this is a country that has indeed uh, many banks and not always the cleanest of the clean. Let's, you know, this is not, uh, I mean, this is not a stereotype. This is the truth. But um, that there's so much more going on in Switzerland, um, so much more interesting stuff than has to do with, uh, you know, watches and many of the and cleanliness. Yes, it's very clean. Uh, that's in part because it's so wealthy that it can afford people to clean the streets, not because nobody litters. That's something to remember. Um, so that's a stereotype to break down because my book starts with a huge riot going on in Switzerland, which makes things very dirty, <laughs> like mm-hmm. shards of glass on the, on the street. Um, and then I guess, let's see, women, and then breaking down stereotypes about the police or mysteries to a certain extent, and I'm certainly not the only one that does this, but I wanted to have two police detectives, two characters who were portrayed not as loners or, you know, having drug or addiction problems, uh, not that police and all people, many people don't have those problems, but I wanted two people that really were just Two people doing a very good job, but having to worry about it and having to think about whether they were doing the right thing or not, often. Mm-hmm. Um, not so sure of themselves, as sometimes the police seem to be in, in certain novels. Mm-hmm. Have I, I think I've approached stereotypes there in many ways, but ask me, follow up if I've missed something you, you were thinking well, no, I think it's right. Um, the the flawed, because Uli, the journalist, and I do love that there's a phonetic mm-hmm. guide in the beginning of the book <laughs> for people, mm-hmm. you know, wondering how to pronounce a lot of um, names that are tossed around. But Uli, he's a journalist and he is, one of his focuses is abuse of power by police. Um, and that is certainly an international problem. Um, it's an issue Absolutely. here. Obviously, it resonates very much in America, particularly with marginalized groups. So um, I thought you you hit a vein there. And then the dynamic of when you have a husband that thinks one way and you, the wife, the police officer, by de facto, have to think a different way uh, under one roof. And I think that kind of dynamic tension is also much more prevalent um, these days. So you did a fabulous job of of talking about these different dichotomies. We're going to pause for a commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to speak more with Kim Hayes, author of Pesticide. And we're going to talk about some of the sources for this material. Where do these stories come from? You mentioned a riot, Kim, and that's not something we typically associate with Switzerland as well. So how does news feeds play into the development of mystery writing? And you know, how can we all be maybe impacted by uh, a great source of inspiration? So don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to Diane at DianeDewey.com. That's Diane at DianeDewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. Here we are with Kim Hayes, author of Pesticide, soon to be out from 7th Street Books. It's a fabulous weaving together of uh, mystery, crime, murder, mayhem, and also the bucolic Swiss countryside and the beautiful old cities. It's really an amalgam and an interesting, you know, breakdown of stereotypes, um, penetration of some of those stereotypes so that you get a much more human version of the Swiss people and your characters become much more relatable. Um, I wondered, I'm going to, before we go to the subject of sources, which we, 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 we're going toward, I wonder even when we talked about the dynamic of, let's say, Uli and Juliana's marriage, and he's got to be the support. Um, he's also got a different sort of social, political point of view. It's creating a lot of tension in the marriage because he's looking at abusive power and Juliana herself is a cop. So I wondered even about this sort of later in life mellowing and acceptance of one another um, in terms of conflicts within a marriage and the sense of persevering. Juliana is sorely tempted by the oh-so-attractive Renzo, and that frisson of sexual tension, you know, really keeps us turning the pages. You know, is, is even your perspective about marriages in general, um, is it something that you're, it almost seems like a gift, a theme that you're giving, that tolerance is a certain theme there. How do you, do you have a sense of that um, being a theme or a sub-theme? Tolerance, I think you mean not only in the sense of in the society, but you, you're talking about tolerance of two, two married people for each other or two people in a relationship that develops over time. Exactly. At least but, that's how I hear you. Yes, um, because yes. both Juliana's marriage and Renzo's marriage are not what we call an even matchup when we're idealistic and young and think the person has to be just like me. Yes. Well, you know, I want to answer this in great depth, but of course, I don't want to give any spoilers um, oh, no. out. So, I about you know about the, this this woman who's in love with two men, and how 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 does one handle that? Um, but I will say that 
I think age, my age, uh, definitely, and my being in a marriage now for 30, almost 34 years, um, with all its ups and downs, and everybody knows you can't have a marriage for 34 years any other way, I do think that you, at least many people, have a much more um, tolerant idea of what a marriage is, um, and, and, and that doesn't just have to do with sex, but in general of how, I think when young people, I shouldn't, I haven't been a young person for quite a while now, but um, I think the idea that even I had as a young person and that I assume many young people still have, that your husband has to be your best friend, um, you know, and and uh, that you're going to do everything together and everything is going to, you know, always be, well, everything is going to be easy. They know that's not true. Is is something that you learn after 30 Four years that you know, no, you're and nobody can, no one person can be everything to you. You learn that, or either you learn that, or you get divorced. So mm-hmm. I think with Uli and Juliana, although they're they're uh, they're only in their forties, late forties, I think they've been together long enough that they, you know, that they, they're one of the things they're trying to work out in the book is is how to deal with this particular issue. But of course, they have so many other things that bring them together. They, they're they they're unlikely to let one issue make their marriage fall apart, even though it is a pretty big one when you're having political differences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, it's, it's sort of like in the U S there have been recently, as we know, some problems with people being married to someone who's voting for the other party, which exactly has that. <laughs> but this, this particular thing uh, in my book isn't anywhere near as extreme as that. So, um, I think that, yes, age does play a role in how definitely being older portrays, uh, influences how I portray this, these three married people. Uh, one, the Renzo in his 30s in a relatively unhappy marriage, and, and uh, Julian Renzo in his 40s. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. We have to have sex in novels and because sex is there in life. <laughs> Exactly. Even in mystery. <laughs> well, I I, so. I also th- I think about yes no I and this is also speaks to the point of subtlety, imperfection, nuance. How things are not black and white, um, and how yes. perseverance really plays a role. And I think perseverance is something you know something about, having you know generated this book, and then followed it along. Uh, for for seven years until until its its publication. So, um, so let's let's talk about some of the inception part because now we're we're working backwards, and I should say we're working backwards from a, a beautiful acknowledgments page in Kim Hay's book that is two and a half pages long. So, in case you want to know <laughs> that it takes a village to publish a book. It's very illustrative, <laughs> but let's go back to the beginning from the end. So, that, so Kim, um, you've written this book, Juliana. She it begins with a riot, a rave, and that was a real news story. How were you mm-hmm. um, inspired by that story? Well, that is very, very easy. It really happened, um, as far as I know. I'd have to, no one would, certainly no one was murdered in the way they are in my book, but um, there were injuries. This was, I didn't, I, I, uh, 
this was a, there had, I can say that in the year I wrote this book, which is now quite a while ago, uh, this happened. And so I was very much inspired by um, trying to work this in this news story that for I basically there was a, uh, there had been two years, I won't, you know, give every detail, but there had been two years before a kind of ra- a rave, a, a, they called it a sort of a uh, dance in, it was actually called Dance Yourself Free in German, Dance Yourself Free. So it was kind of a political statement, just sort of anti-authority with floats and people dancing in the street all night and making, and you know, making a normal mess, not breaking up shop windows just it was a it was supposed to just be a party and this third year that it was to take place it was forbidden because the entire main street was dug up they were doing a huge amount of work on the on the tram tracks mm-hmm. uh, so they just they said sorry all the cobblestones this is a main street that's a, this is a medieval part of town and all the cobblestones were piled up and and the city said no you can't have it this year or we'll give you a new pass and so it became illegal this third year this riot because um the city was it seemed i mean now at my age it seemed reasonable that they would say we have to give you a new route but the group of people who'd organized decided to do it anyway on the old pass and for whatever reason there was then a heavy police presence uh, because it was illegal, because they were protecting the construction site, because they were angry, that too, the police. And this this dance-in, this rave, turned into a huge riot, just mm-hmm. as I described it, with cars being burned. With So so that, I mean, I had a perfect source. You know, I didn't have to do much. I did do quite a bit of research. I talked to people, uh, to police who, afterwards, and people I knew about, about it. But... So often it is very helpful in all, it, it is very helpful to have, you know, to, I read the newspaper in Bern every day um, and I don't always find ideas for mysteries, but you never know. So it's something, it's something novelists, I think, who want to write about current affairs need, probably all do. Well, you know, it's so funny because I couldn't help but think about, you know, your, your, Subtext is um, the the organic farming uh, movement mm-hmm. in Swiss, Switzerland, which is huge. The Bio Swiss and the concern for organic farming. Um, I thought, Bill, you know, here's maybe a story for you. Um, there's a certain family member who who worked. You you mentioned Colp, which is the largest grocery chain in Switzerland, and others. Yeah. But, the second is Migro. Um, we have a family member who was with Migro for most for a long time, anyway, in his mm-hmm. career. And he once told me a story of how the zucchinis had been used. The imported zucchinis had been used to import heroin. And I thought, wow, there's a story <gasps> for Cam. <laughs> Don't you love it? I, I, it's almost too close to what I've already done. So I'd have to talking about. <laughs> vegetables and marijuana, you know, and people would think exactly. I was feeding myself. <laughs> yeah. And, and organic, we've got to have organic marijuana. We can't, you know, have the pesticides on, but so it's really, I mean, there's, there's fun things that come up everywhere. And you also mentioned that your neighbor was a high ranking, a female police officer. So I thought that's also a wonderful thing that you actually could spend quality time talking with her and understanding her character, her job, her, you know, think her thought process. 
So um, you've given yes. us a teaser teaser ending here, and probably people now look at you and think, um, "Am I going to be a character in your next in your next novel?" <laughs> but um, you've given us a, a real teaser ending here, Kim, because it, it doesn't, you know, some things resolve, but the rest sort of doesn't. I wondered how you mm-hmm. became so deft at writing plot twists, um, extra challenges that create even more suspense. You, you, your mother read mysteries um, while you were growing up. How, how did you create this world of super suspenseful, oh my God, now this happened kind of plots? How did that come to you, do you think? Well, I do think, I have to say, that I'm sure it helps that I read Mysteries. I read a lot of mysteries. And so, I mean, I do read other genres. I like, I'm not, uh, I'm not a snob about reading. You know, I read, I will read young adults. I read fantasy. I read science fiction. If it's not too technical, uh, talk about a sexist remark, but it's true. Um, I read novels. Uh, you know, literary, quote unquote, literary novels. But what I mainly read is mysteries. And I've been reading mysteries since I would say Sherlock Holmes in elementary school, you know, the story, the short stories, which I thought were fabulous. And of course, like many people in my generation, I read Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys and all of these old fashioned uh, mysteries. And, and I just kept going. And because my mother was not only a great mystery reader, but a librarian, um, mm. That meant that, you know, there were always lots and lots of mysteries for, to be read in my house. And I do think, I'm not saying that everyone who writes a mystery has to read mysteries. And in fact, you have to, I suppose, like anything, if you, you don't want to, uh, even not on purpose, you don't want to steal anything, even if it's a, uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about plagiarism, but sometimes you realize you might be echoing something you've read, which you don't want to do. But it certainly gives you a sense of how... I think one of the things that you have to do in a mystery, which we've already talked a bit about, is balance an exciting plot with realistic characters that people care about um, and not and have an interesting puzzle to be solved. You really need that puzzle. Um, I personally, and this is odd, but I personally don't care if, if, if I can't guess who did it. I'm not desperately trying to figure out who did it all through a mystery. I'm more, I'm looking at how are they solving the problem? How are the detectives? What steps? That's why police procedural is such an interesting concept for me because you really like to see the process. Of course, you can see it in, you don't have to have the police to see that, but it's very interesting to see the process by which people try this, try that. You know, how do they come up with the answer in the end. So that's important to me. And I think when I was writing, you know, I hope, I think this is uh, getting at what you're looking for, because I'm trying, I want to tell you the different aspects of this book that I've tried to, um, to come up with the characters, mm-hmm. the plot with a puzzle, uh, of course, setting, being in Switzerland, being an interesting place. But mm-hmm. I, I think what I think it's also interesting that, um, that you look, that you uh, have something going on that where if, if the your reader learns something. 
Um, Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I learned all about organic farming to write this book, and I had to do a lot of research, which I loved, which was great fun. So that gives Mm -hmm. me the fun of doing something besides writing. And I think, and I hope, that it's interesting for readers to then learn about a subject, whatever it is, that is not, for most of my readers, I assume it won't be something they know very much about, particularly since it's how organic farming works in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So well, those were the, all the sort of things I thought about when I was when I was writing. I can see that there were motivations, and you delivered. Um, I, I certainly had no concept that pesticides could drift across. Of course, they can from from a non organic mm-hmm. farmer to 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 an organic farmer. Um, the future of farming in Switzerland is is imperiled. You've written nonfiction articles about. Uh, organic farming in Switzerland. What's the mm-hmm. chief? What's the chief offender? I'm sure people are not going to get this because I didn't know it for a very long time. What's the chief offender to the environment in Switzerland? Well, I I mean the chief offender. I mean I can't out of farming certainly is not pesticide, but is cows. Um, right. Because be- our beloved cows, <laughs> our beloved cows that that sit around uh, happily chewing their cuds, and people take pictures of them, and they they we we make our be- wonderful cheeses, and they are the absolute picture for not only for tourists but for Swiss. We want our meadows filled with cows, but it is no doubt that uh, between uh, you know between the uh, dung and the urine that gets, you know, that all goes down into the groundwater. So we often, Swiss community will have alerts that their water is not, is no longer safe, but the worst is cow farts, right. <laughs> to put it bluntly, so that cows are are producing methane, which is worse than carbon dioxide. And the more cows you have, not to mention that to produce um, that to produce either beef, most of our cows are for milk, but that the same protein you get from milk, um, you could get from vegetables with a use of much less water. Um, so cows as beef, the, a pound of protein, um, I think many, many vegetarians know this and vegans, but um, ca- you know, cows are a waste, in a sense, a waste of water because you can get the same amount of protein uh, from vegetables using much less water. But guess what? Do I like to eat beef? Yes. Do I like to eat cheese made of cow's milk? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm an offender. <laughs> well, it's just points to the paradox that we all try to figure out. And it's great to talk to you, Kim Hayes, about it. Um, around your book, Pesticide. We have to pause for a commercial break. But I do want to just, you know, reiterate what Kim just said, cow farts, cow burps, methane gas. This is what we're dealing with here, folks. And that bucolic, wonderful cow head that we all love and Elsie and all, all the cows everywhere in the world. It could be that we need to rethink this. Um, we're going to take a pause here. And when we come back, we'll be, we'll be back with Kim Hayes on our wonderful murder mystery. We've hardly touched on that, but we don't want to give away things. That's the reason. Um, but we are going to talk about sense of place, sense of home, sense of continuity, and 
all these things that go into your voice as a writer, Kim. So don't go away. Okay. We'll, be, we'll be right back on Dropping In. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, in case you're just joining us, we're here with Kim Hayes, an expat uh, living in Switzerland, married to a Swiss translating Swiss culture for all of us through her book, Pesticide. And there are others, as it turns out. Uh, the the seven-year voyage, Kim, has not deterred you. Pesticide is part of a series. Where are you in the process of developing the series at this point? Well, um, you're right. It's, it, I, before I tell you directly, I'll just say, yes, seven years. You know, one of the things that I I had to fight was not to give up. And so I felt like, well, um, after Pesticide didn't get published, you know, I thought, well, maybe something else in my series will. You know, I'll keep trying. And sure enough, I have, met, I have produced uh, three books. So there's actually, there are three books that uh, are more or less ready to go. I mean, one is Pesticide, obviously, that is already on the shelves or will be after April 19th. Mm-hmm. I've signed a contract for my second book, um, which has, which is part of this series. It has Juliana and, and Renzo as continuing to be detectives. The third book um, has not been signed for. I haven't got a contract, but I, I feel good. I hope if everybody buys pesticide, I think that will help, but we'll see. Um, you know, I hope to sign a contract for the third. And there is a fourth, which is only in the first draft stage, but it's being, I'm working, going to start revising it in May. So I've really got, you know, three and a half or four books that uh, in this series that I, that I feel pretty good about. So, um, that I think was my way of combating despair. <laughs> yes. But I have to say, I don't approve. I've had people say to me, why do you care about being published? If you truly love writing, you'll just write for yourself. And oh, no. I found that incredibly annoying. I felt like, what? 
you know, maybe there are painters who paint in, in, in a garret that nobody ever sees their work. You know, maybe there, I know there may be, they are, exist in novels, but hey, I mean, people want to be able to have other people read their work. So I never, you know, if, even if you keep on writing when nobody is reading, your dream is always to have people buy and read your work. And certainly, if you're trying to live off it, you want them to buy. I luckily don't have to, but, you know, this is important. You can't just write for no one. So that got us a bit off theme, but I I just wanted to say it takes a lot of guts to keep writing, um, but but and not to pat myself on the shoulder, but for me, it was actually not to, so it's not to get full of despair, but I certainly wasn't just doing it for myself. I was doing it in the hopes that I would manage to produce something that mm-hmm. somebody would want to publish. You may have felt as though you were in a vacuum at a certain point, or many, but, you know, I think it's interesting what you say. Um, it's a form of communication, right? Like writing, you you need an audience, and that's the response to the writing, the way you leave certain things in suspense that the reader's filling mm-hmm. in or imagining, you know, you, you can't really be in isolation, just like your characters actually are very social. Juliana has a partner, um, Sabina, and, you know, interesting, interesting comment on your part. You know, we're not being in, you know, we're not the people in the garret any longer, if we ever were. Um, It's really, it's very different. And I think that, that your personality was drawn to the connection, to the interchange between reader and writer. I think that also it speaks to the characters that you created. They are also very connected to one another. Um, you know, there's no lone ranger here like police are often described as. So it's actually another stereotype that you you broke down. When you say that you kept writing almost as, you know, a kind of form of survival, um, I, I wonder if, you know, if you were, if someone were to say to you, Kim Hayes, now you've, you've written a well-received book, um, what, what, what words would you impart to an aspiring author? You know, is that part of your message? I mean, you know, the, the, the sense of no matter what, keep writing. Um, what would be your sort of guiding words if there are, you might've thought about it um, by now, if you start you know, meeting other readers of your work. Yes. I, I mean, time will tell if it's, you know, the book is successful or not, but, but um, I would say to people who are trying to write, first of all, I would give them all kinds of support in this, uh, in saying, yes, you're doing, it is difficult, you know, don't let anybody tell you anything else. Um, and for me, and I do think this is very individual, I could not keep, could not have kept writing. Well, let's be realistic. First of all, my husband was supporting me by that point. So, you know, in the early days, we were both could, needed to earn. But at some point, um, you know, he, he was able to say to me, look, if you want to stop working and do your writing, that's fine. And I really appreciate that. And many people don't have an opportunity. You know, they're sitting, they're sitting, I mean, I don't want to belabor this because it's not interesting. It's so obvious, but it's, it's one thing to say, I want to write a book when you have, you can just sit all day and write a book, which I could do. I didn't write eight hours a day, but I could if I wanted to. And, and if you have to be working at a job, 
So give your, I'm just saying to potential writers out there, you know, give yourself a break. If you're doing this one hour after getting the kids into bed or after a, you know, long day's work, that, that is even harder. Um, but I think you need, so you need support in the sense of being, having the time to write, being able to afford it financially, but you also need emotional support. And I think, you know, you were, teasing me, I mean, in a good way about my acknowledgements, you know, there, there, I, some people have one or two, a writing group of one or two people who read their drafts for them. You know, I was not shy at all. I sent my drafts to everyone. And at the beginning, I was sometimes getting back really major criticism. You know, the book didn't just, let's not pretend that, you know, I wrote, I wrote, it all flowed out of my pen and then it was wonderful. Um, I mean, I think now from what you're saying, you know, it comes across well, but I mean, it took a lot of work. So remember when you're writing to keep letting people read what you're writing and try to, um, you know, and, and, and you don't want people that say, you know, this is just garbage. That is not supportive, but you need people to read your work who will who will give you emotional support and talk about how good it is and then tell you also what, what needs to be changed because that's the only way you'll produce anything that's 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 good. <laughs> but in, but well, at the beginning you need to just keep writing. So I mean you send things out, but but the biggest thing I think, and I know this is what other writers say, um, if you go back and beautify the last line you wrote for half an hour, you, you just won't get anywhere. So the biggest thing you have to do is schedule yourself and say, from this time to this time, these hours, I'm just going to sit here and try to write um, words. Um, I mean, on my subject or in my book, but it doesn't matter if it isn't flowing, because if you keep on writing, it will start to flow at some point. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you break through a barrier um, as long as you let yes. that stream stream of consciousness flow out. Uh, interesting. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I love that you were not the slightest bit self-conscious and shared your work. Um, it, I can't tell you how immeasurable I think, you know, that, that may come as a surprise for people who feel apprehensive about showing their work, um, you know, will my ideas be stolen? No, they won't. Um, will people be constructive? Yes, they will. They'll be generous with their time and attention and focus to your book. One of your champions was someone we've had on the air, the agent April Everhart, and another, you know, absolutely, who, who, she shepherded it through, which is wonderful, and helped you to do the same. So, so finding an agent, but also circulating your work so that it does get refined. I also love that you just said, you know, write the raw material, and then you had mm-hmm. in your sister a great, a great champion, <laughs> and I suspect an emotional support as the book is dedicated to her. Your your family yes. your family was an emotional support, so absolutely, um, yeah. So that's that's fascinating um, in and of itself. I just want to speak a moment about, and we only have a couple moments left. Um, mm-hmm. the, the the sense of place, okay. The 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 sense of the old cities, Bern. It's a it's it's got a medieval section, as you say. You know, many Swiss cities do. They're fascinating. They're evocative. You feel things you don't feel anywhere else. And then there's also the river. Um, yes. This The river in your book, I think, is very much a character almost. 
Um, how does sense of place and setting function to you for you um, as a character, as a, uh, as a force? Well, I have to, to answer this question in terms of Byrne. And uh, I think Byrne is a spectacularly beautiful city. And I know it better than any place in the world, because although I'm an American, I've lived there now longer than anywhere I've ever lived. And I'm so pleased you brought up the river, because in my next book, which is currently called Sons and Brothers, the river, the Are, which is the name of the river that literally creates the city of Bern by looping around it, um, is, is, it plays a crucial role. And I really try to keep the river in my book um, in every um, in every, well, every one of the four, that's not a, a too many, but because it's such an important part of how Bernese think about themselves. The Otter is just there. We cross bridges all the time. It's not, it's not Amsterdam, you know, it's not like we have canals, but we have this beautiful, enormous river. So thank you for bringing that up. I, for me, the setting is very important that I convey the beauty and the mystery of Bern and the Alps. I think you'll find, if you remember, that they often are looking up my characters and seeing the Alps on the horizon, and they mm -hmm. are a very important part of living in Bern. Well, thank you, Kim Hayes, for that insight. Also, you know, the Alps, the permanency, the river, the flow, the motion. I mean, these are just wonderful dynamics throughout your book. And the book is Pesticide, the first one. It's available wherever books are sold or on Kim's website. Thanks so much for being with us. And um, it's a joy to have you, Kim Hayes. Thank you, Diane. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad. Thanks to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to Ryan Treasure, to our executive producer, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to you, our listeners and readers. Remember to stay safe and play a trick on April's Fools or read one in this novel. Um, it's just so much fun, and I couldn't be more excited um, for its debut in a few weeks. Till next week. Thank you for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.